Welcome back to another edition of Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to give you the wrestling highlights for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW, Impact Wrestling, and also AEW Rampage. Also, before this broadcast is over, I will be giving you some wrestling highlights from New Japan's uh, last live event, which was last Saturday, called New Japan Resurgence. Uh, New Japan has a new IWGP United States Champion. Also, a champion has came back from injury but i will give more into that before this broadcast is over so before anything else let me start off with monday night raw and give you the highlights from monday night raw monday night raw started off with a randy orton in-ring promo the main point of this promo was randy explained why he rko'd riddle randy said he doesn't need anybody he ran down his accolade and he said that he did it all by himself which if you know randy orton's uh, career he did not do all those accolades by himself he was always in a group called evolution or the authority or he had his own group called legacy which was around for about a year or two but nevertheless randy was trying to say that he did all those accolades by himself he said that he didn't owe anybody an explanation of why he rko'd riddle and he said that raw is still his territory and he says tonight he will prove that against omos and before Randy can say anything else after this, Riddle comes out, and Riddle looks happy as usual. He didn't look depressed, he didn't look angry, he just looked happy. Riddle goes into the ring and he tells Randy he knows why he RKO'd him. Randy says, you know why I RKO'd you? Riddle said, yeah. Randy said, do tell. Riddle claims Randy is teaching him how to hit a proper RKO. Riddle has been doing an RKO for the past couple weeks just to like show off and give some celebration to Randy, but Riddle said that Randy did not appreciate his form, so Riddle, in his mind, thinks that Randy RKO'd him to show him how to do it the right way. Riddle insists that he learned his lesson and still wants to team up with Orton. Riddle pleads with Orton to let him be in his corner tonight against Omos, but Randy isn't trying to have that, and in this, AJ Styles and Omos comes out. AJ tells Randy that he's happy to see Randy RKO Riddle. He was, he's happy to see it again, and AJ tells Randy that he cheated last week when Riddle interfered in their match. So AJ makes a challenge to Riddle and tells him that he is tired of Riddle so much that he just wants a match for Riddle to shut Riddle's mouth. Riddle accepts the challenge and that match happens next. Riddle thinks that Randy is going to be in his corner and before the bell rings, Riddle is going to fist bump Randy on the outside of the ring and Randy doesn't give his fist to fist bump. He looks at Riddle and then he looks at the crowd and then he starts walking back up the ramp and walks backstage. And Riddle is now looking disheveled like, oh my god, Randy is leaving me again. And he's just so dazed and confused. And the bell rings and AJ jumps on him like a wolf just going after his lunch. And I mean, AJ gets after Riddle for a minute and AJ's beating up on Riddle at the beginning of this match. You see Orton stop and look at the ring and look at Riddle getting beat down and he stills walk up the ramp. He looks back at the ring to see Riddle's at least doing something else. Nope, still getting beat up. He goes right back up the ramp. Looks back down, look back at the ring again. And this time Riddle is doing something. And at this moment, you think Randy's going to start walking down to the ring. Nope. He turns right back and goes walk up to the back. In the end, Riddle was going to go for the floating bro. But Riddle was focused too much on Omos. And that cost him when AJ chop blocked him off the top turnbuckle and caught him for a Styles Clash and got the win. So AJ beat Riddle by pinfall. After this, we had a Riddle backstage promo. And Riddle talked about how he was depressed because Randy left him in the ring by himself. Riddle says he didn't give up on the feeling that him and Randy still could be a team RK bro. But after Randy didn't fist bump him and walk to the back, Riddle just now feels sad just sad and he walks away now the next match happens is Rhea Ripley going against Nikki Ash 
And before the match happens, Charlotte comes out and she's on commentary for this match. In the final moments of the match, Ripley hits Nikki with the Riptide and gets the win. It was a nice, solid one-on-one uh, -on -one match between Rhea Ripley and Nikki Ash. After the match, Nikki Ash rolls outside of the ring and you see Charlotte mock Nikki. And you can just see the blood boiling in Nikki's face. And Nikki just jumps on Charlotte and starts attacking Charlotte. Charlotte gets out of that ambush and rolls into the ring, and now she's being attacked by Rhea Ripley. And as she's being attacked, Nikki rolls into the ring, and now Charlotte is being attacked by both Rhea Ripley and Nikki. And Charlotte ends up eating some shots from both of them, but she rolls out of the ring, and now you see Rhea Ripley and Nikki just standing their guard in the ring, looking at Charlotte as Charlotte is walking up the stage. Next, you have a Jinder Mahal and Indy Sheer backstage promo. Jinder tells Indy Shear that he has given them the privilege of a lifetime being under his learning tree, giving them opportunities to be on Monday Night Raw and exposure. Jinder tells them this is their last opportunity to get Drew McIntyre's sword before his match with Drew at SummerSlam, where Jinder will put Drew McIntyre down for good. After this promo, you have another promo between MVP in the backstage, and MVP lets the people know tonight that Goldberg and Lashley will come face to face and something might or might not happen tonight. After this, we have the match of Indy Shear going against Drew McIntyre. Drew McIntyre beats Indy Shear, and this was a handicap match. Indy Shear is a tag team of Shanky and Veer, by the way. Drew Claymore Shanky and gets the win. After this, Veer goes after Drew McIntyre's sword, but Drew cuts off uh, Veer before he can even get to the sword, and belly-to-belly -belly suplexes uh, Veer on the outside of the ring. Drew rolls into the ring. He grabs his sword and he grabs a microphone he pulls his sword to the side and the main point of this is he's telling Jinder Mahal that at SummerSlam he is going to create a moment at Jinder Mahal's expense that will last forever and Drew asks the audience who's going to win at SummerSlam and the audience overwhelmingly chooses Drew so this gives you an idea that Drew is already gaining momentum into his match with Jinder Mahal he's in Jinder's head and also at their match at SummerSlam Indy Shear will not be around for ringside, so it will be a straight one-on-one -on -one competition between Drew and Jinder. So Jinder has nobody to come and save his bacon. So Jinder basically is going to get Claymore kicked by Drew McIntyre. After this, we go backstage where we see Sonya Deville and Adam Pearce in their office. They're talking, and then she, Charlotte Flair, interrupt them. Charlotte complains that she got attacked by doing her job on commentary. And Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville say, yeah, we saw that, and that's not fair, so... They gave Charlotte two options. They said either option A, you can wait until SummerSlam to get your revenge on both Nikki and Rhea, or you can go out and find yourself a partner and we can make you guys have a tag team match tonight against those two. Charlotte says she doesn't play with others. DeVille looks at Charlotte and tells her those are your two options. Take it or leave it. Charlotte stands there for a second and then she just walks off in a huff. So we're thinking that Charlotte Flair is more than likely going to try to find a tag team partner. After this, we go back to the ring, and now we're having an in-ring segment. It's called Moist TV, hosted by John Morrison. It's basically a parody of Miz TV. The Miz is the guest for John Morrison's show, and John Morrison calls out The Miz. And the main point of this is Morrison asks The Miz, was he pretending to be injured? And Miz asks Morrison, has he ever lied to him? Morrison said, nope. Have you ever seen me use you before? Nope. Have you ever seen me fake an injury? And Morrison tells him, eh. And the Miz says, no, I've never faked an injury. And then yes, whenever we have Damian Priest comes out. Damian Priest comes out and he tells Morrison to ask Miz, 
why he faked being injured for weeks. Miz gets livid. He goes off and lets Priest know that he was injured. And that Priest and everybody else knows that wrestlers get injured, but they wrestle all the time with injuries. And he even mentions how John Morrison was injured at WrestleMania and still wrestled. But Miz said that he has kids and he can't wrestle while he's injured. So he had to literally take a couple of weeks off. And he admits that he was cleared weeks ago. And then as he says this, Morrison looks at him and says, weeks. And then you see the Miz turn to Morrison and says, yeah, weeks, but that doesn't mean I'm not hurting. I'm not all the way cleared yet. And Miz tells Morrison that, you, do you see what Priest is trying to do? He's doing the exact same thing that I do on Miz TV. I try to turn everything to the best of my benefits. Is the exact same thing that he's doing for him. He's trying to put a wedge in between me and you. That's not good, supposed to happen. That's not going to happen. Remember, it's us against him. And then Morrison said, you know what? You're right. So you know what? I got a great idea. How about it'll be Priest going against The Miz? Damien Priest says, yeah, bring a referee down here. We can do this. So they go to commercial and then they come back from commercial. And now we have a match of Damien Priest going against The Miz. Sheamus comes down for commentary and Miz is wrestling in dress pants and dress shoes. He's not in wrestling competition. He's not in his ring gear nothing. So it's a match of Damien Priest going against The Miz. The Miz, in the end, tries to grab the drip stick from Morrison, but Morrison doesn't give The Miz the drip stick and starts walking away. And The Miz is yelling at Morrison, and you just see Miz in such a puff, like, why is Morrison leaving him? And once he turns around, he eats a clothesline from Damian Priest. And then as this happens, Damian Priest looks at Sheamus on commentary, and Sheamus is looking at Priest and asking him, what's he doing? And then you see The Miz gets up and you see Damian Priest hits The Miz with the bro kick. Sheamus finish. And Damian Priest pinch The Miz and gets the win. After the match, Sheamus is pissed off and he's livid. He grabs a microphone and he tells Priest how disrespectful that was. But he tells Priest to cherish in that feeling. Cherish and revel in that winning of excellence that you have right now. Because at SummerSlam, you're going to lose. You're not going to win the United States Championship. And the only thing you got to do is look at me hold of this United States Championship at SummerSlam. After this, we go backstage. There's a backstage promo between Eva Marie and Dewdrop. Eva Marie tells Dewdrop to go to Alexa's playground and bring her Lily. And Eva will be right here waiting for Dewdrop when she comes back. After this, we go to commercial and come back from commercial. Miz is catching up to John Morrison backstage. Miz asks Morrison why he left him out there. Morrison tells Miz that he felt underappreciated and felt taken for granted, and he wanted the Miz to feel that way. He just wanted the Miz to feel that one time to understand how Morrison felt for all these weeks. And Miz says, I understand it. And he wants to bury the hatchet with Morrison, and Morrison says, it's water under the bridge now. So now they're they're cool. And as this is all happening, New Day is behind them, on a, and they're holding up a whiteboard, and they're saying, buy our t-shirt, and you hear the audience laughing and cheering this up, because we haven't seen Kofi and Xavier on television in weeks, and this is our first time in weeks seeing them on television, so it's good to see the New Day. After this, we have Alexa Bliss uh, Playground promo. Alexa makes fun of the evolution. She asks Lily, what is the evolution anyway? And as she asks and Lily this, Lily, again, I remind you, is Alexa Bliss's doll. Dewdrop shows up and Alexa says, I knew you were coming. Eva is so predictable. And as she is saying this, Dewdrop grabs Lily. Alexa tells Dewdrop that I wouldn't do that if I were you. And at that exact moment, 
Dewdrop looks at the doll and for 15 seconds she just has a stare down with the doll and you just see Dewdrop just looks like she's seen something menacing. She doesn't change her facial features, no nothing. And she hands the doll right back to Alexa and just starts walking away. Alexa grabs Lily and starts messing with her hair and she tells Dewdrop that I'll see you at SummerSlam. So remember, Alexa is having a match with Eva Marie at SummerSlam this Saturday. Well, basically tonight. After that, we head to the ring of Mansoor going against Mace. Mansoor beats Mace by pinfall when Mansoor goes for a sunset flip and Mace sits down on Mansoor's shoulder and the referee is counting. While the referee isn't looking, Mustafa Ali kicks Mace and Mace falls back and Mansoor puts his legs on, on Mace's arms and Mansoor gets the win and the referee gets the pinfall. One, two, three, Mansoor wins. So now this is a continuation on Mansoor learning from Mustafa Ali. They're starting to build their bond uh, between these two of student and teacher and they're starting to get some chemistry between the two. After this, our next match is Randy Orton going against Omos. Randy Orton beats Omos by disqualification when Randy Orton was on the outside on the ground because Omos was dominating Orton throughout this whole match. And Omos was distracting the referee. AJ kicked Randy Orton in the ribs and then the referee having to turn around after AJ just got done kicking Orton in the ribs and calls for the bell. And AJ and Omos was about to beat up on Randy some more, but Riddle comes out and make the save. Riddle happens to beat up on AJ Styles and send him outside of the ring. And Omos wants to get back in the ring, but he sees AJ's beat up so much and so, like, out of it that he carries AJ to the back, or at least that's what we're thinking, because Riddle helps up Orton in the ring. Orton gets on the mic and tells Riddle that respect is earned, and Riddle has earned his respect. And Orton tells Riddle that RKO, or RK Bro, sorry, is back together. And Riddle is so excited, Riddle and Orton hug, and Riddle grabs the microphone from Orton, and he says that RK-Bro is back, and RK-Bro is going to challenge AJ Styles and Omos for the Raw Tag Team titles at SummerSlam. And that match becomes official, so at SummerSlam tonight, it will be Randy Orton and Riddle, RK-Bro, going against AJ Styles and Omos for the Raw Tag Team titles. I told you they were going to find a way to make that happen. After this, we go backstage, and Jeff Hardy is in the gorilla position. He's ready for his match against Cross, and Jeff Hardy tells the interview that he's going to bring the pain to Cross, and that Cross's 15 minutes of fame on Raw is up. Cross attacks Hardy out of nowhere, and Cross tells Hardy TikTok, and he walks to the ring. And now it's time for Cross versus Jeff Hardy, and this match was really quick. I mean, just like probably two or three minutes quick. Cross locks in the cross jacket on Jeff Hardy and beats Jeff Hardy by submission. Like I said, this was nothing to really like talk about. It was just really quick. So now Cross is 2-1 on Jeff. We might see Jeff Hardy interfere at NXT TakeOver to help Samoa Joe win the NXT title. That's just me thinking out loud because Jeff Hardy and Cross, they might be trying to throw something in there. So this could be Cross's final time at NXT. And this could be a reason why Cross has a big major problem with Jeff Hardy because Jeff Hardy might help Samoa Joe beat him at NXT TakeOver to win the NXT title again. We'll happen to see that is an idea for you guys to chew upon. After this, we have Dewdrop runs into Eva Marie backstage. Remember, Eva Marie is looking for that doll that Dewdrop's supposed to bring her. Eva asks Dewdrop, where is the doll? And Dewdrop tries to explain herself, but Eva isn't having it. Eva tells Dewdrop that this right here is like a slap in the face. And she asks Dewdrop, do you know how that feels? Dewdrop isn't saying nothing. She just startled at Eva and Eva slaps Dewdrop. 
twice across the face and walks away. So I'm telling you, somewhere down the line, probably tonight at SummerSlam, we're going to get Dewdrop like turning her back on Eva and letting Eva get demolished and eaten by Alexa. Just an idea. After this, they play a video of Reginald at the park and he explains his upbringing of being at the park as a boy, doing backflips, doing gymnastics and such. And R-Truth and Tozawa are dressed up as different things. I believe R-Truth is dressed up as like a seaweed, not even seaweed, but like he's covered in like grass and he tries to like camouflage himself as a grass and Tozawa is in like a trash can and they try to like go after Reginald. But Reginald sees it coming, he dodges them both it's nothing but a game of cat and mouse between Tozawa, Truth, and Reginald trying to get Reginald for the 24-7 title. Reginald dodges them both, and then he gets into his vehicle and drives off. After this, they play a video of Elias, and he, the main point is, is Elias is walking still in the forest. And you see highlight clips of him talking about what WWE used to stand for. And for him, as a character, it used to be walk with Elias. And now he puts a tombstone down and the tombstone reads Elias. So the Elias character truly is dead in this fashion, but the man behind the Elias character is still around. But we're going to have to see what happens later on because right now it's still a mystery. After this, they have the main event match of the night. It is Charlotte and her mystery partner going against Rhea Ripley and Nikki Cross. Charlotte's mystery partner turns out to be Nia Jax. And towards the end of the match, Nia Jax hits a Samoan drop on Rhea Ripley, and Nia was about to go for a bonsai drop, but Charlotte tagged herself in, and Nia doesn't look pleased by this, but Charlotte gets in and big boots Rhea Ripley, and then runs over to Rhea's corner, attacks Nikki Ash, and then runs back and hits the natural selection on Rhea to get the win, so Charlotte is gaining momentum into tonight's match between Charlotte, Rhea, and Nikki Ash for the WWE Raw's women's title, so remember, this is a triple threat match, Anybody can win. The champion doesn't have to be pinned to lose her title. So Charlotte has some momentum going into this match. And then after this is our main event segment. Now it's time for the face-off between Goldberg and Bobby Lashley to send everybody and give everybody a last interpretation and our last impression of what they might be getting at SummerSlam. Goldberg comes out, and before he talks about SummerSlam, he introduces his son, Gage. He talks about how he came out of retirement so his son can experience who Goldberg is, not just watch video clips of what Goldberg used to be. He wants his son to experience it live and in color and in person. And out comes MVP and Lashley. MVP tells Goldberg that Goldberg is talking much more than what people are used to hearing him talk because back in the day, Goldberg didn't really talk. He used to go out, dominate, spear, jackhammer, pin, get the win because every other man that Goldberg used to face back in that time was afraid of Goldberg as this big, explosive, demolishing human being but now Goldberg has met his match with a man that is more dominant more explosive more just everything than Goldberg used to be and also dangerous and that man is Lashley Lashley gets the mic and tells Goldberg that he gave Goldberg an opportunity with grace to leave and don't have to show up for SummerSlam but since he didn't take it he is going to make Goldberg feel the dominance of Lashley and as Lashley puts the mic down Goldberg tells Lashley that's bullcrap. And Lashley turns around and he looks like he's about to say something to MVP, but he fakes out and he looks like he's about to attack Goldberg. Goldberg ducks it and then he turns around and hits Lashley with a spear. And Lashley's on the ground now. He's 
is feeling the effects of the spear. Goldberg rolls out of the ring and walks up to his son and pulls his son from the opposite side of the barricade now. So now Goldberg and his son are walking up the ramp and onto the stage as MVP is helping Lashley get onto his feet. And now Lashley is upset and pissed. And now you see that he is really ready for SummerSlam now. Now that Goldberg has speared him and embarrassed him on the last episode on the way up to SummerSlam. And you see Goldberg on the stage and Lashley in the ring. And they're just locking eyes with one another. And that was your final image of Monday Night Raw. Of Goldberg being on the stage and humiliating Lashley. As Lashley is now upset. And now we have our main event for Monday Night Raw for SummerSlam. Goldberg and Lashley for WWE Championship. I hope it's going to be good tonight. But we will have to see. Now on to NXT. NXT opens up with Malcolm Bivens and the rest of Diamond Mind in the ring and Roger Strong's ready for competition. Bivens lets the fans know that Kushida isn't medically cleared tonight, so there will be no Cruiserweight title match, but he also informs the fans that Roderick Strong still has a Cruiserweight title shot later whenever Kushida gets finally cleared. But he also informs them that Roderick Strong is ready to compete, so he calls out an open challenge. It's open challenge season, so anybody wants to come down and get this work from Roderick, they can come down. And out comes Ilya Dragunov, the same man that has to fight Walter at NXT TakeOver 36, who should be wrestling up after he just had a match with Pete Dunne last week. He comes out to answer that open challenge, so now we have the matchup, Ilya Dragunov going against Roderick Strong. Ilya Dragunov ends up beating Roderick Strong by pinfall. It was a good back and forth match between the two competitors. And let me just say, Ilya is a great in-ring wrestler. He knows how to work inside the ring. He ends up bleeding towards the end of the match. I don't know how, but he gets a nice good gash on his, like, above his eyelid, and he just starts bleeding heavy. But anyway, um, Ilya tried to hit the Torpedo Moscow, which is a spinning uh, headbutt, but Roderick Strong gets him with a jumping knee to the face, but this is also while Ilya was bleeding, so the bleed bleeding didn't happen because of this. Ilya then gets up and rebounds off of the middle rope and runs and hit a torpedo Moscow, the spinning headbutt, onto Roderick Strong and gets the win. After the match, Ilya is still bleeding, but uh, they play the replays so many times to allow Ilya to wipe the blood off his face. The cameras go back to him. Ilya grabs a microphone and he calls Walter out. He calls Walter out three times. Walter doesn't show up and they just end it like that. And Ilya's music is playing and he just standing there frustrated that Walter didn't show up. The next thing that happened was NXT played a video package highlighting the rivalry between Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly. They're trying to hype up their match that they're supposed to have at NXT TakeOver 36 to the three stages of hell. Uh, the first match being a straight-up one-on-one competition. The second match being a street fight. And if they get to the third match, it's supposed to be a steel cage. And this is supposed to be the last match between the rivalry between Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly. This is what this whole video package is supposed to be. After the video package plays, Hit Row, the whole Hit Row group comes down to the ring. And the main point is they call out Legado del Fantasma. They want them to come out there and they want to try to retrieve back Swerve's grill and to also try to make Legato pay for taking his grill a couple weeks ago. Santos' video pops up on the Titantron and he tells Swerve to turn around and look at him. Swerve looks at him and Santos tells Swerve that he will give Swerve back his grill, but he doesn't trust Hit Row to not attack him. So he tells Swerve to come out to the parking lot right where Santos is and he'll give him his grill by himself because in the video you see Santos by himself just holding the grill and he tells Swerve that it's only going to be me and you and we can talk it out man to man. Swerve looks at the rest of Hit Row and tells him to stay in the ring. 
Hit Row tells him, don't do this. And Swerve tells him, no, I got it. Stay in the ring. And you see Swerve get out of the ring and start walking backstage. And next shot that you see is Swerve opening up the door. And now he's backstage. Well, he's at the parking lot. And you see him walking up to Santos. And right behind him is Raul Mendoza and Joaquin Wilde. And you Swerve knows he's been set up. And he takes off his jacket, quickly throws it off. And starts swinging at Raul Mendoza and Joaquin Wilde. And then you start seeing Santos jumping in on Swerve getting beat down. And now it's the three men jumping up on Swerve. And you start seeing Hit Row come out of nowhere, coming to aid of Swerve. And now you have a big parking lot brawl between Hit Row and Legato del Fantasma. Legato ends up getting their butt beat in the parking lot brawl. And you have Hit Row standing tall. And Swerve ends up getting his grill back from Santos Escobar. That was the whole point of this whole thing. Santos got his butt kicked, and you have Hit Row standing on top. I'm not sure if they're going to be a one-on-one match. There should be a one-on-one match between uh, Santos and Isaiah Swerve Scott for the North American title. Somewhere down the line, probably within next week, since the NXT TakeOver card is booked all the way full. But I'm hoping they'll make that match happen next week. I'm hoping so, but we shall see. After this, we get a video of Ellie Knight earlier in, in the day working out in the gym, and he tells Cameron Grimes to go get him some water. Grimes leaves and gets Ellie Knight some water, but as Grimes uh, was gone, Ellie Knight walks up to Josh Briggs, who's there, and Knight tells Briggs that he will pay him $10,000 if he beats up on Cameron Grimes tonight to soften him up for uh, his match against Ellie Knight at TakeOver. Briggs agrees to this. And you see Cameron Grimes walk up and give Ellie Knight his bottle of water. And Ellie Knight takes it and he pats Grimes on the back and he tells Grimes, look at who your opponent is for tonight. And Grimes looks at Briggs and Briggs is menacing looking down at Grimes. And that's the end of that video. The next thing you see is a backstage promo between all members of Imperium, Marcel Bartel, Fabian Eichner, and Walter. Fabian and Marcel let the people know that they need Imperium to lead NXT into a brighter future and that they're here tonight to take the NXT tag titles off of MSK. Walter finished the promo by saying they are here to bring back respect and restore honor to professional wrestling instead of it being this whole mockery and a joke that people think that it is right now. And that's how that promo ends. The next thing that you see is a match between Cameron Grimes and Josh Briggs. But as this match is happening, Ted DiBiase and LA Knight are on commentary and they make a bet between each other for $20,000. Double or nothing because Ted DiBiase tells LA Knight, what did you pay Josh Briggs? And that he will make this match double or nothing between those two. So Ted DiBiase has Cameron Grimes to win and LA Knight has Josh Briggs to win. And that's the bet between these two. Grimes hits the cave-in, which is the double foot stomp on the chest of Briggs to get the win. And then after the match, you see Ted DiBiase laughing and he tells LA Knight that, see, I told you, you need to always back a champion and back a winner. And that's Cameron Grimes. And he tells LA Knight that you owe me $20,000 now. And Knight gets upset and he decks Ted DiBiase in the face. And then you see Cameron Grimes get out of the ring and he's about to confront LA Knight, but LA Knight kicks Grimes in the gut and hits him with a headlock driver on the ground as both men are on the ground as Grimes is on the ground and Teddy Biasi is on the chair you see LA Knight just talking smack to both of them saying that at NXT TakeOver he's going to have both of them as his butler and he will still be the million dollar champion after this our next match is a mixed tag team matchup Indy Hartwell and Dexter Loomis going against Robert Stone and Jesse Kamea Indy Hartwell 
locks in the silence, which is Dexter Lumen's submission, onto Jesse Kamea and made her tap. And so Dexter Lumen and Indy Hartwell beat Robert Stone and Jesse Kamea by submission. This was a nice uh, mixed tag match, and this was just only to show the chemistry between Indy Hartwell and Dexter Lumen because they're the new it couple in NXT. After the match, Indy Hartwell gets out of the ring and walks over to Beth Phoenix because Beth Phoenix has been Indy's whole love mentor and love guru to make her press her way onto Dexter Loomis no matter what anybody thinks. And Indy grabs something from Beth Phoenix. Nobody knows what it is until Indy gets back in the ring and she looks at Dexter and drops to one knee and opens up a black box and pops a ring. Dexter Loomis looks at her. He removes one of his gloves and shakes his head and says yes. And Indy puts the ring on Dexter's finger and they seal the deal with a kiss. So now uh, they are engaged. Andy Hartwell and Dexter Loomis are engaged. I mean, this is a nice little storyline between these two. I want to see how far they take it. How far? Because I'm going to... I can't wait for Dexter to say something. Because Dexter has been a mute throughout this whole time on NXT. He has never said anything. He only expressed his feelings by either expression or either by drawing something out other than that he hasn't spoken so whenever he finally speaks that's going to really pop the audience and pop people at home after this we get a backstage interview of Malcolm Bivens and an interviewer originally the interview was trying to get a response from Roderick Strong and asked him about his match with Ilya early in the night and Malcolm Bivens cuts her off he lets the interviewer know that Roderick Strong's match with Ilya didn't happen Ilya is a heavyweight and Roderick Strong is a cruiserweight, so that match doesn't count towards the record books and Strong is still guaranteed a cruiserweight title match against Kushida when Kushida comes back and he lets the interviewer know that Roderick Strong doesn't do interviews. Malcolm Bivens does interview, so next time you want to get an interview, come to me. Don't ever come to Roderick Strong. You have my number. After this, we get a split screen interview between Raquel Gonzalez and Dakota Kai to amp up and hype up their NXT Women's title match at TakeOver. Raquel lets Dakota know that she has taken care of all of Dakota's problems since she's gotten with Dakota, but now Dakota has to solve this problem by herself. Dakota tells Raquel that she has taught her everything that she knows, but didn't teach her everything that Dakota knows. So you get a little spitter spatter between the two, and they're just trying to hype up the match a little bit more, and Raquel finishes the interview off by telling Dakota, that she will see her at TakeOver, and then she finished it off by calling her Sidekick. Dakota Kai has always been known as being the sidekick for every tag team that she's been in. With her and Tegan Knox, she was a sidekick. For her and Raquel Gonzalez, she's a sidekick. She's always been like the person behind somebody. So that really like pushed Dakota over the limit on that. So now we're going to see the fireworks between these two at TakeOver, and hopefully we get a nice good contest between these two. I'm hoping so. But we shall see. After this is the semifinals breakout tournament match. And the winner will face Odyssey Jones in the finals next week on NXT. And Carmelo Hayes beats Duke Hudson by pinfall. It was a nice match between both men. But it ends with Carmelo Hayes hitting a top rope leg drop on the back. Well, behind the head of Duke Hudson to get the win. After the match, an interviewer walks up on Carmelo Hayes and asks him about facing Odyssey Jones next week in the finals of the NXT Breakout Tournament. Carmelo says that he has been doubted throughout this whole tournament. He has faced guys twice the size and twice as tall as him. But next week, whenever he faces Odyssey Jones, he's like facing the final boss. And he tells Odyssey, it's a plot twist, Carmelo Hayes is the final boss. Odyssey Jones then comes out and he just laughs at it. And he says, Carmelo, that... 
Next week, you're going to be going against me. And the whole crowd at the end of it will be chanting my name. So you get a nice little hype up between both of these men to give you the gravitas of what this NXT breakout tournament means to them. And remember, the NXT breakout tournament winner gets to face any NXT champion of their choosing at any time of their liking. So they can go after the NXT title, the NXT North American title, or even take a chance on the NXT uh, tag team titles, or even the Cruiserweight title. That's in if Carmelo Hayes wins, because Odyssey Jones is a big guy, and he's not going after the Cruiserweight title. So again, the NXT title, the tag titles, the North American title, or even perhaps the Cruiserweight title is up for grabs. A match is up for grabs of the winner of this breakout tournament next week. After this, we head backstage to the trainer's room where Ted DiBiase and Cameron Grimes are. Ted DiBiase tells Cameron Grimes that he is sorry for him and feels that they bit off more than they could chew with LA Knight in his match with LA Knight at TakeOver this Sunday. Grimes starts to get hyped up and he tells Ted DiBiase that he is a champion and not a butler and he has thanked Ted DiBiase for giving him that confidence for believing in himself and tells Ted that at TakeOver, Both of them will become the million dollar champion and they're both going to the moon. And Grimes is so hyped up and he's so like flared out like the whole Ric Flair thing whenever somebody starts getting all amped up and he just walks out of the trainer's room and the camera flashes over to Ted DiBiase and Ted hits his whole maniacal laugh and Ted DiBiase says that's my guy. That's the reason why I have faith in Cameron Grimes. After this we go to the in-ring competition for the NXT Tag Team Championships, and MSK beats Imperium by pinfall. MSK hits their tag team finish, which is an assisted blockbuster on Fabian Eichner, and Nash Carter pins him. After this, Ilya Dragunov runs down to the ring and tries to fight Walter, but he gets decimated by Walter. And then MSK tries to help out Ilya, but Walter decimates MSK, and Walter is able to handle both members of MSK and Ilya Dragunov. And then you have Ilya in the ring laid out while all members of Imperium are standing tall. And then Walter picks up Ilya and hits him with a sleeper hold for a good five seconds. And then he drops Ilya on the ground again. And now you have Imperium just standing there. And that's how that segment ends. Then we go to a backstage promo between Pete Dunne and Ridge Holland. The main point of this is to let Ridge Holland accept Timothy Thatcher's challenge. And next week on NXT, Ridge Holland will face off with Timothy Thatcher in the ring next week. Now it's time for the main event segment of the night. Samoa Joe and Karrion Cross's whole face off. Samoa Joe gets in the ring and he grabs the mic. Joe says he is ready to eviscerate Cross at TakeOver. But tonight, Joe is here to simply hurt him and calls Cross out to the ring. Cross comes out to the stage and tells Cross that this match at TakeOver is about the future of NXT. It's not about him. It's not about Joe. It's not about anybody else. It's about the future of NXT. But Cross calls down the security so nothing will happen between Joe and Cross. And Joe is upset. He starts to look agitated at Cross. And he looks at Cross like a weakling because Cross has security to stand in between those two. Cross tells Joe that security is not for Cross. The security is for Joe. And he gets in the ring and he tells Joe that at TakeOver, Joe knows that he's going to get dropped. 
and he knows that he's going to get dropped fast. And as soon as he says this, Joe headbutts Karrion Cross and he throws Karrion Cross outside the ring. The security picks up Cross and Joe looks at security and Cross on the outside. He runs across the ring and then he runs towards Cross and security and hits a suicide dive onto Cross and security. So now we have a brawl between Joe and Cross around the ring side area and Cross was trying to hit a Saito suplex onto the table, but Samoa Joe was able to stop that. So now the two men continue to brawl, and now you have Joe saying Cross through a barricade, and Joe hops over, and now you see those two brawling on the opposite side of the barricade now, and they just continue to brawl and brawl, and now they get sent through another barricade. And now you have security, Samoa Joe, and Karrion Cross on the ground. They're all reeling after this brawl. And that's how NXT ends with all security and Samoa Joe and Karrion Cross on the ground. And you can just tell that these two want to get at each other so bad and just trying to hype up. This is NXT last stitch effort to hype up and get people interested in the match of Karrion Cross and Samoa Joe for the NXT title at TakeOver Sunday. So that was NXT. Now it's time for AEW Dynamite. AEW Dynamite opens up with John Moxley and Eddie Kingston. They were supposed to say something in the ring. They were walking down to the ring through the audience, but they were attacked by Daniel Garcia in 2.0. 2.0 attacks John Moxley and Eddie Kingston with pipes, while Daniel Garcia is just their little running mate, and he just starts putting the boots to both Moxley and Kingston. 2.0 and Garcia go to the ring and one of the members of 2.0 grabs the microphone and they just start calling out Sting and Darby Allen so they can get their match started right now. Sting comes out and 2.0 and Daniel Garcia are now waiting for Darby to come out. Darby entrance music hits and the lights goes off and you see Darby Allen run into the ring and he has a skateboard in his hand. The lights pop back on and Darby turns Daniel Garcia around and hits Daniel Garcia with a skateboard, which immediately takes out Daniel Garcia. Now you have Sting get into the ring, and now you see Darby Allen and Sting tag team up on 2.0, and the referee starts the match. And by the way, this is a Texas Tornado tag match, meaning that it's no disqualifications, and all members are able to fight in the ring at the exact same time. Nobody has to be tagged in to be eligible to get into the ring. But that doesn't matter. Starby Allen, Sting, and 2.0 start fighting all around the ring. They start, they exit out of the ring. They start fighting all around the ring. And they even start fighting into the audience. They hop the guardrail and they just start fighting all around the area. Which ends up with Daniel Garcia getting back into the match and starts helping out 2.0 put the boots to both Darby Allen and Sting. At one point, Eddie Kingston pops right back up and grabs Daniel Garcia and starts beating up on Daniel Garcia and drags him away. So now it's down to Sting and Darby Allen against 2.0 finally. They get back to the ring, and in the end, 2.0 sets up a table in the ring and power bombs Sting through the table. 2.0 thinks they got rid of Sting, but Sting gets up immediately after being power bombed, and 2.0 freaks out. Darby Allen sneaks back into the ring and drop kicks 2.0 into Sting, and Sting grabs both members of 2.0 and hits them both with a Scorpion Death Drop. Sting has both of the members of 2.0 on the ground, and he locks both of them in the Scorpion Death Lock. So he has both of them in at the exact same time in the Scorpion Death Lock, and when he turns them around, both members of 2.0 start tapping out, 
And that is the end of that match. Sting and Darby Allen beats 2.0 by submission. After this, AEW plays a video that happened earlier in the day of Sammy Guevara proposing to his girlfriend in the ring. She says yes. They show a backstage footage of Sean Spears and Tully Blanchard clapping it up for Sammy. Spears tells Sammy Guevara's girlfriend that tonight, only for tonight, she's going to be an honorary member of the Pinnacle. Because when you're in the Pinnacle, you're always on top. Spears says, and for tonight only, Sammy's girlfriend can be on top. Spears and Tully Blanchard ends up laughing, and that's the end of that promo. Now it's time for the match of Sammy Guevara going against Sean Spears. Sammy Guevara makes his entrance, and he's in Houston there in Texas, and the fans are loving Sammy because Sammy is a hometown boy. He soaks in the adulation from the audience, but he sees Sean Spears come out of the entrance tunnel, and those two start brawling. Again, this is another one of these matches that they don't even get into the ring when they first start off. They start brawling around the ring, and Sammy gets hit with a pile driver by both Sean Spears and Tully Blanchard. They hit a spike pile driver. And Sammy is now dealing with a neck injury at this moment. Sammy's holding on to his neck. And he just feels like you just see that Sammy's just hurt. And Spears throws Sammy back into the ring. And now the match officially begins. The referee rings the bell. And the match is starting. The referee throws Tully Blanchard out of the ring. Well, out from ringside. He's now banned from ringside and totally throws a fit but he ends up going to the back the highlights of this match were when Sammy Guevara and Sean Spears both hit their respective signature move off of the top rope Sammy Guevara hits a top rope cutter and Sean Spears hits a C4 off the top rope the C4 is basically a Death Valley driver in the end Sammy Guevara ends up getting the win whenever he takes down his knee pads and starts hitting Sean Spears in the face with his knees like three times and about the second time he busts Sean Spears at least over the eye and you start seeing blood trickle down of Sean's face and Sammy Guevara hits the GTH which is a reverse go to sleep and gets the win and he pins Sean Spears and gets the win after this we go to a backstage interview of Christian Cage and but before Christian can even say anything he's interrupted by Don Callis Don tries to butter up Christian tells him that hey he got a new set a championship gold on him by beating Kenny Omega last week for the Impact title on Rampage. But he tells Christian that, hey, that's cool and dandy and all, but you're still going to lose to Kenny Omega at All Out. Christian cuts him off and tells Don that he's in Kenny Omega's head. And at All Out, he's going to take the most prized title that Kenny Omega holds near and dear to him, and that's the AEW title. And before Christian leaves, he calls Don a carny piece of crap. After this, we go back to the ring, and it's Dan Lamberg in the ring with former UFC heavyweight champions Andre Arlovsky and Junior Dos Santos. The main point of Dan Lambert being out here is that he's calling out people in AEW to try and come out and stop him from talking and telling the truth. He calls the AEW fans nothing but mama's boys that be in their mother's basements and creeps that be online just searching on stuff for the dark web. Lance Archer comes out and he's about to beat up on Dan Lambert, but before he even can get to the ring, both Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky jumps Lance Archer and puts the boots to Lance Archer. And Dan Lambert, Andre Orlowski, and Junior Dos Santos are just in the ring just looking at this beatdown, and they do nothing. 
Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky leave Lance laid out on the entrance ramp, and you see Dan Lambert, Andre Orlovsky, and Junior Dos Santos just clapping it up for Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky. So this is setting up a rivalry for Lance Archer to go after both Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky. And we might even get Dan Lambert even training Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky down the line. Maybe. After this, we have a backstage promo of Chris Jericho. He says all the pain that he has gone through these past four weeks is going to be worth it because tonight he gets to wrestle MJF. He says tonight will be the night of Jericho and tonight he is going to beat MJF. After this promo, we go back to the ring and it's time for the AEW tag team title match of the Young Bucks going against Jurassic Express. Towards the end of the match, the Young Bucks hit the Indie Taker on Jungle Boy and Matt Jackson pins Jungle Boy, but Jungle Boy kicks out of this. Kenny Omega comes down to the ring, hits Marco Stunt with a steel chair, and hands Matt Jackson the steel chair. As the referee is being distracted by all the members of the elite, Christian Cage comes down and fights Kenny Omega to the back, and Jungle Boy hits Matt Jackson with a brain buster onto the chair. Jungle Boy throws the chair out of the ring, and Jungle Boy pins Matt Jackson. You think Jungle Boy gets the win right here, but that doesn't happen. Matt Jackson kicks out. So Jungle Boy then hits a backslide pin onto Matt Jackson, and as the referee is counting, Nick Jackson rolls himself into the ring, rolls Matt Jackson out of that pinfall, and grabs Jungle Boy by one arm. Matt Jackson grabs Jungle Boy by the other arm, and they hit the BTE trigger, and Matt Jackson pins Jungle Boy and gets the win. This was a great tag team match. Again, AEW does phenomenal when it comes down to tag team wrestling, something that WWE on the main roster can learn, but NXT was able to do it until they got their tag teams basically raided by WWE. That's just a side note I want to just throw out there. After the match, all members of the Elite start beating up on Jungle Boy. The Good Brothers, the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, Don Callis, Brandon Cutler, and even Michael Nakazawa beats up on the Jurassic Express, and they beat up on Christian in the ring. Kenny Omega picks up Christian Cage and hits him with the one-winged angel, and Kenny has Don Callis go down and make the pin, simulating a 1-2-3, indicating that Kenny Omega is going to beat and retain his AEW World Championship against Christian at All Out. After this, we go to a backstage interview segment of Britt Baker. Britt Baker introduces Jamie Hayter as the problem solver to all of Britt Baker's problems. Britt Baker lets the fans know that her and Jamie go way back, even during their time in Japan. And Jamie says that she is here as a favor for her friend Britt Baker. And Jamie ends up challenging Red Velvet to a match next week on Dynamite. And more or less, Red Velvet will accept that challenge just to be one on television and two to get back at Jamie for basically beating up on her last week at the end of AEW Rampage. After this, we go back to the ring and now it's an in-ring promo from Paul White, formerly known as the Big Show in WWE. Tony Schiavone thanks Paul for saving him and his son last week from the factory. Paul says, you're welcome to Tony. And he told Tony, you know what? I enjoyed myself being back in the ring. He enjoyed choke slamming Aaron Solo, and he has an announcement to make. But before Paul can even make that announcement, he's interrupted by QT Marshall in the factory. QT talks to Paul and says, Tony Khan signed you to be an announcer. 
You're not here to be a wrestler. As a matter of fact, I work in the AEW offices and I am privy to certain contracts and I know that you're not here to wrestle. As a matter of fact, I have some proof and he tells somebody in the production truck to throw up those pictures and QT shows Paul White's hip surgery photos. He shows the hip replacement that uh, Paul has in his hip and he even shows off the scar that Paul has. He said that Paul has had five hip replacements in the last 18 months just to try to get himself back into in-ring readiness. Paul lets QT Marshall know that he doesn't know everything and that QT doesn't know that Paul talked to Tony Khan last week after saving Tony Schiavone and his son from the factory and that Tony has given Paul White a match at All Out. And Paul lets QT know that at All Out, it will be Paul White going against QT Marshall and the camera pans over to QT and he just stunned. He's just frozen in time. He can't believe that he's hearing this. But at All Out, you hear me right, it will be Paul White making his AEW debut, formerly known as The Big Show, going against QT Marshall. After this, we get a video of Jade Cargill and her representative, Mark Sterling. And they talk about Kiara Hogan. Remember, Kiara Hogan was on Impact Wrestling, but now she's now a free agent. And she's been showing up on AEW Dark and Elevation. Both Jade and Mark Sterling applaud Kiara Hogan for being on Dark and Dark Elevation, and even they applaud her for having a following. But Jade announces that on Rampage, Kiara Hogan will be facing Jay Cargill because Jay Cargill wants to be a part of the fun that Miro had last week when Miro beat up on Fuego del Sol. But this time, instead of Fuego del Sol getting a contract at the end, Kiara Hogan won't be getting a contract. She'll just be getting a beatdown by Jay Cargill. After this video, we get a backstage interview from the Elite, and they are told by Tony Schiavone that there will be a tag team tournament, and the competitors in this tournament will be Private Party, Lucha Brothers, Varsity Blondes, and Jurassic Express. The winners of this tournament will face the Young Bucks at All Out in a steel cage for the AEW tag team titles. The Elite are frustrated, and they leave the interview. After this, they go right back to the ring, and in the middle of the ring is Taz and his son, Hook, are in the middle of the ring. Taz announces the FTW champion Ricky Starks to come out, and Ricky Starks comes out, and he's on the stage. Ricky doesn't waste time, and he calls out Brian Cage, and then they flash up to the backstage area, and you see Brian Cage laid out, and above him is Powerhouse Hobbs. Powerhouse Hobbs picks up Cage, and Cage starts fighting back. And then you start seeing Ricky Starks tell production to cut the feed, cut the feed. And he's saying this so frequently and so nervously that he runs to the back and he says that he got to go. So Ricky Starks, Taz, and Hook leave out of the ring and they go to the back. And we don't see them for the rest of the night. Now we're off to a backstage interview of Death Triangle, Penta, El Zero Miro, Phoenix, and Pac are backstage and Pac agrees to the match with Andrade at All Out. And Andrade interrupts the interview, and Andrade tells Pac that, I'm glad that he accepts the match, the challenge, but before anything else, he has to agree to Andrade's conditions to even get the match at All Out. Pac is then handed a big old stack of papers by Andrade's handler, and Pac is just looking in disgust at this stack of papers. Chavo interrupts and 
congratulates Penta and Phoenix for being in the tag team tournament. But he lets Penta and Phoenix know that they will never be champions as long as they work for somebody like Pac. And Chavo and Andrade and Andrade's handler leave the backstage interview and you just now see Pac and Phoenix and Penta just looking there and looking at them leaving. After this, we have a match of Thunder Rosa going against Penelope Ford. This is a good match between two women. And in the end, Penelope Ford locks in the Indian Deathlock, but Thunder Rosa escapes out of that and locks Penelope Ford into a modified STF, and Penelope Ford taps out. So Thunder Rosa beats Penelope Ford by submission. After this, we go to a backstage interview of Arn Anderson and his son, Brock Anderson. Arn Anderson is shocked that his son, who has only had a limited number of matches, is going to be facing Malachi Black next week on AEW Dynamite. Brock tells his father that, with all due respect, he isn't asking his father. He is telling his father that he is doing the match next week. So we have an official, Brock Anderson, going against Malachi Black next week on Dynamite. And I'm telling you right now, Malachi Black is going to absolutely obliterate Brock Anderson. I'm just letting that be known right now. After this, we get a Miro video playing. And Miro says in the video that he isn't happy that Fuego got a contract after his match with him on Rampage. Fuego picked the easy way out of just being handed that contract instead of winning the match. And Miro says that he is tired of people running from him and not wanting to fight him. So now, Miro is going to be start calling people out. And the first person that he calls out is Eddie Kingston. So somewhere down the line, I don't know whether it will be next week on AEW Dynamite or next week's episode of Rampage, but we're going to get Miro versus Eddie Kingston somewhere down the line. And I can't wait to see that match. And now it's time for the main event, Chris Jericho versus MJF. Chris Jericho comes out and the fans are cheering him and MJF is in the ring. And Jericho is just smiling it up and the fans are cheering for him and then they stop cheering and they start singing Chris Jericho's song, Judas. Remember, MJF last week said that Chris Jericho has to come out to silence and that he cannot use the Judas effect. So the crowd takes care of that one part by singing the song Judas and Jericho walks out to the ring to fans singing his song Judas. Chris Jericho stops the ring announcer from even saying his name. He just allows the fans to sing the song Judas and they sing it for a good bit and then they get done singing and then they just start clapping it up for each other and Chris Jericho is just in amazed by this happening. But now on to the match. Chris Jericho and MJF has a good match. They know how to work with each other. But throughout the match, MJF was attacking the hurt arm of Chris Jericho. MJF even yanks off the brace that Jericho has on his left arm to continue like damage Chris Jericho's left arm. And towards the end of the match, both MJF and Chris Jericho go for a foreign object. MJF pulls his ring out of his tights and the referee catches MJF during this act and the referee takes the ring off of MJF and hands it to somebody on the outside of the ring and MJF walks over to Jericho and Jericho hits MJF with his bat in the gut and Jericho throws the bat out of the ring and he's about to hit the Judas effect on MJF but he stops himself because he knows if he hits the Judas effect he will lose the match so he stops himself and he hesitates but as soon as he hesitates MJF pops up and hits the Judas effect 
on Chris Jericho. And then he locks in the arm bar onto Chris Jericho's right arm. Chris Jericho holds out for a good two minutes and tries not to tap. He even tries to flip it and reverse the arm bar, but MJF is just holding on to that arm bar nice and tight, and he doesn't allow that reversal to happen. And Jericho just holds on and holds on, but he can't hold on for any much longer, and he ends up tapping. So MJF beats Chris Jericho by submission, and now MJF is truly the top dog because he beat Chris Jericho, and I would think he should be at least ranked number two because after this match, he should be ranked number two. So whether Kenny Omega or Christian wins at all out, the next person that should be getting the title shot and title opportunity should be MJF, and that is the end of AEW Dynamite. Now it's time for Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling opens up with Josh Matthews and Gia Miller in the ring, letting the Impact Wrestling fans know that Christian Cage is the new Impact Wrestling champion and that he will be here tonight to address the Impact Wrestling fans and the Impact Wrestling roster in the back. As they are saying this, W. Morrissey and Eddie Edwards comes out from the entrance and they are start fighting down the ramp. Morrissey and Edwards fight all around the ring side area and then W. Morrissey throws Eddie Edwards back in the ring. Morrissey is about to hit Edwards with a powerbomb, but Sammy Callahan comes out and makes a save. Sammy Callahan hits Morrissey with his baseball bat, and Morrissey gets sent to the outside of the ring. Eddie Edwards walks up to Sammy and tells him that he didn't need his help, and Eddie Edwards gets out of the ring and starts walking up the ramp. Sammy Callahan grabs the microphone and tells Edwards that he could thank him later. And Sammy says that he was supposed to have a match later tonight, but he doesn't feel like waiting, so he wants to start the match right now. And that's what happens. Now we have a tag team match. One team consists of Sammy Callahan and Chris Sabin, and the other team consists of Ace Austin and Moose. Ace Austin and Moose lose to the team of Sammy Callahan and Chris Sabin when Ace Austin hits Sammy with a roundhouse kick. But Sammy Callahan catches Ace Austin with a pop-up powerbomb. Sammy Callahan was about to hit a pile driver, but Chris Saban tags himself in, and he hits a cradle shock DDT and pins Ace Austin, and that's how they get the win. But after the match, Sammy Callahan pile drives Chris Saban to send a message to Saban, Moose, and Ace Austin that at emergence, Sammy Callahan will beat each one of them to become the new number one contender for the Impact Championship. All four of these men are going to be in a fatal four-way match at Emergence, and the winner of that match will be the number one contender for the Impact Championship. Just wanted to clarify that. After this, Impact plays a video of New Japan Pro Wrestling's resurgence event last Saturday, and they show the confrontation between the team of the Good Brothers, the Impact Wrestling Tag Team Champions, and the Gorillas of Destiny. They are having a conver—they're uh, having a confrontation because the Good Brothers are a cornerstone and basically one of the teams that founded the Bullet Club, while the Gorillas of Destiny are the team that's leading the charge and still waving the flag of Bullet Club right now, and Jay White is the leader of Bullet Club, and Kenny Omega is the leader of the Elite, which the team of the Good Brothers are a part of, so Bullet Club and the Elite have had a big old like feud for going on almost two years now, so Good Brothers are now just finally facing off with the Gorillas of Destiny, so this could lead to some implications down the line in the future. Go back now they go to a backstage promo of the Good Brothers. They mention how at Resurgence, they beat John Moxley and Yuji Nagata. And they also mention how the Gorillas of Destiny have no idea what they're getting themselves into. 
Doc Gallows focuses attention onto Joe Doring and tells Joe Doring that tonight he's going to beat him and that at emergence, the Good Brothers will retain their Impact Wrestling Tag Team Championships against the team of Violence by Design and Rich Swan and Willie Mack in their Triple Threat Tag Team Match for the Impact Wrestling Tag Team Titles. We go to another backstage segment, but this time from Sammy Callahan. He mentioned how Chris Saban taunted him in the match, so he did what he had to do by pile-driving Chris Saban. Sammy mentions that how at Resurgence, he's going to beat Saban, Moose, and Ace Austin to become the Impact Wrestling uh, number one contender for the Impact World title. He also mentioned that how he kept his promise of how every time Kenny Omega would be on Impact, he was going to beat down Omega so much that he would end up losing his Impact title to, if not Sammy, but to somebody else. And he tells the rest of the fans that they can thank him anytime they want Eddie Edwards interrupts Sammy and tells him that he didn't need his help and that there won't be a next time for him whenever he has to fight Morrissey. But the meaning is that Eddie Edwards doesn't need Sammy Callahan's help. Sammy tells Eddie that he has bigger fish to fry, and that's when Sammy Callahan walks away from Eddie Edwards. I can tell you right now, W. Morrissey is going to cost Sammy Callahan his number one contender uh, shot at the Fatal 4-Way match. Sammy's going to be so close to winning, but W. Morrissey's going to come out and beat him up, and that's when we're going to get this team of Sammy and Eddie coming down the line, and then W. Morrissey's going to have to bring somebody in, probably a big loudmouth from New York slash New Jersey, a guy that we probably know as Enzo Amore back in WWE, but now goes as Enzo. Just a thought there. It might can go that way, but we will be getting Sammy Callahan and Eddie Edwards teaming up later down the line to go against Morrissey. I do know that, but that's just my opinion because I know how wrestling goes. I'm just saying that's what we're more than likely going to see. If Enzo doesn't show up, I don't know, but I just bet my bottom dollar that Enzo's more than likely going to show up for this. After this segment, we go to the ring, and it's a match of Matt Cardona going against Shira. Um, towards the end of the match, Matt Cardona was setting up for the broski boot, but Rohit Raju gets on the apron to distract the referee, but Chelsea pulls down Rohit off the apron and slaps him across the face. That slap across the face allows Cardona to get on the second turnbuckle and hit the radio silence, better known as the Rough Rider from his WWE days, and get the win on Shira. Now we go to a backstage segment uh, called Locker Room Talk, hosted by Madison Rain, and she introduces her guest, Tenille Dashwood. Madison asks Tenille why she chose to align herself with Madison Rain after her match last week against Taylor Wilde. Tenille told Madison that she was her first tag partner when she got to Impact, and she wants to go after the Knockouts Tag Team titles, and that how she would spend her time looking for the perfect partner and her Perfect partner was always there standing in her face. They announced that their tag team name is going to be called The Influence, meaning behind it, Tenille Dashwood has millions of followers on social media, and Madison Rain is being being a veteran. She's a five-time Knockouts champion and also a former two-time Knockouts tag team champion. So Madison is able to influence Tenille Dashwood down to the promised land of winning the Knockouts tag team titles. We go to another backstage interview, but this time from Josh Alexander. Josh talks about how he wanted to be the standard barrier of Impact Wrestling by being the X-Division champion. When Kenny Omega was the Impact champion, he wouldn't show up and he wouldn't dignify himself as being a graceful champion of Impact. But now since Christian is champion of Impact, that doesn't change. Josh still is going to be the standard barrier for Impact Wrestling. And he also isn't worried about Jake something. He isn't worried that Jake something is bigger than him or stronger than him. 
Jake something's still going to lose to him at emergence. Something walks up to Alexander and Jake something tells Josh that if he isn't worried about him, then he hasn't been paying attention. And he tells Josh to pay attention tonight because he's going to make an example out of somebody. Jake walks away and he walks up to Scott Demore and asks for a match. While this is happening, Scott Demore is being berated by Caleb with a K because Caleb keeps on getting assaulted by Scott. Scott keeps on downgrading Caleb with a K. So to kill two birds with one stone, Scott Demore makes a no DQ match between Jake something and Caleb with a K for later on in the night. After this, we head straight to the ring and Christian Cage is now in the ring and he's holding the Impact Championship and the TNA World Heavyweight Championship. These are the same two belts that Kenny Omega were walking around with whenever he was Impact Champion. He tells the Impact Wrestling fans that he is honored to have taken the Impact title off of Kenny Omega and bring back the Impact Wrestling Championship back to Impact Wrestling and back to the rest of the Impact Wrestling fans. And he talks about how when he left WWE some years ago, Impact Wrestling was the company that took a gamble on him, put him in main events, gave him championship opportunities that he deserved and he will forever be grateful to Impact Wrestling. Christian Cage decides that he wants to retire the TNA Heavyweight title because the TNA Heavyweight title represents everything in the past. And even though Christian loves TNA, he loves Impact Wrestling. He wants to keep TNA Wrestling in the past and have Impact Wrestling, the Impact Wrestling World title, be the richest title in Impact Wrestling. So he retires the TNA title, and now Impact Wrestling only has one major title to focus on. Brian Myers and Sam Beal comes out and interrupts Christian Cage. Brian mentions how he isn't here to talk about the past and how at emergence he's going to beat Christian for the Impact Wrestling Heavyweight title. Christian takes a shot at Myers by saying he finally stepped out of Matt Cardona's shadow, meaning Brian Myers and Matt Cardona back in WWE were um, both known as Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins, and those two will always be a tag team some way, somehow. Even though when they split, they always came back together, and you always saw one. Whenever you saw one, you always saw the other in the fan's eye. So that's what he meant by you finally stepped out of Matt Cardona's shadow. Christian tells Myers that he might have won the Battle Royal, but he hasn't won anything yet, meaning the Impact World title. Christian mentions how Myers might be the most professional wrestler, but Christian is the best professional wrestler in the world. And Myers looks at Christian. He walks away. He's not going to do nothing to Christian. He walks away, but he does push a Sam Bill in front of Christian because he's trying to get a sucker punch. But Christian, being the veteran that he is, he noticed what Brian is doing, and he decks Beal in the face, and Myers sees this, and he just rolls himself out of the ring and starts walking up the ramp. So now this is setting up a more anticipation for their match at Emergence for the Impact Wrestling Heavyweight title. After this, we have a match of Molina beating Brandy Lauren by submission. Molina locks in the California Dream, which is basically a reverse Muda lock, and Brandy taps out. This was just basically an enhancement match for Molina whenever she has to face Deanna Perrazzo at NWA Empower for the Knockouts Championship. And speaking of Deanna Perrazzo, Deanna Perrazzo attacks Molina after the match. Molina was able to hold her own for a good bit until Matt Raywool better known as Aiden English, comes out and holds up Molina for Deanna Perrazzo so Deanna can get some hits on Molina. Trey Miguel comes out to make the save move for Molina and attacks Matt. Matt gets thrown out of the ring, and Deanna ends up walking up 
towards Trey Miguel and mouths off to him. She even threatens to slap him straight across his face. Trey tells Deanna to turn around. Once Deanna turns around, she is met with a fez press by Melina. Melina Dane picks up Deanna and throws her out of the ring. And that's the end of that. Now we turn to a backstage interview with John Schuyler. He gets asked how he feels beating Matt Cardona after Rohit Raju interfered in his match last week. Schuyler says it wasn't Rohit's knee that hit Cardona in the face. It wasn't Rohit that schooled Boyd, Matt Cardona, and got the win. And as soon as he says this, a loud voice is heard in the background and the cameraman runs over to that loud voice. The voice comes from David Finley. He's yelling for help. Juice Robinson is on the ground holding his knee in agony and David Finley is continuing to yell for help. We don't know who attacked Juice, uh, but more than likely somewhere down the line, probably next week's episode of Impact Wrestling, we're probably going to find out who attacked Juice Robinson. It's probably going to be like Chris Bay or somebody else to set up something from New Japan going against Impact Wrestling somewhere down the line. That's my betting guess for this. They show a video of Jordan Grace being at a powerlifting competition and Jordan Grace and her tag partner Rachel Ellering is talking and Jordan places records in the state competition and the national competition and she mentions how in November she's going for a world title in the powerlifting competition. This segment was basically to highlight Jordan Grace's achievements outside of the ring and almost, I want to say, set her up as a strongest woman type deal. But we'll just have to see if there's what they're going to be pushing in Impact Wrestling probably down the line. After this is another in-ring competition. Uh, but this time, it is a no disqualification match. It is the match of Jake Something going against Caleb with the K. And this match was a complete massacre. They didn't use many weapons in this thing, even though it was a no disqualification match. The only like weapon that got used was a table. And the table got used whenever Jake something set it up in the corner and he speared Caleb right through the table and pinned him. So Jake something got the pin over Caleb Conley. And after this, Josh Alexander comes down to the ring, gets in Jake something's face and holds up the X Division title to hype up their match at Emergence for the X Division Championship. Now it's main event time. Joe Doring going against Doc Gallows. And this was a pure Haas fight. And if you don't know what a Haas fight is, it's basically two big men just hitting each other and slamming each other. But they didn't really slam each other that much throughout this match. They just like threw a whole lot of strikes to one another. They striked in the ring. They striked out of the ring. And while they're out of the ring, the referee doesn't even count the count them out. Usually in a wrestling match, the referee counts and you get the count up to 10. And if you're still outside of the ring by the count of 10, the match ends. The referee didn't count. He just followed them outside of the ring and let those two big hosses just duke it out. They were fighting around the ring and they start fighting up the ramp. And then once they got to the stage, Doc Gallus hit a bulldog bomb, which was basically a double-handed choke slam, but sit-out choke slam, and they crash through the side of the stage. And once they crash through, they're there for about a good solid three minutes which has security and an Impact Wrestling uh, medical doctor come out to try to look at both of these men. But Doc Gallows gets out of the hole and starts crawling down the ramp and gets himself back in the ring. And then give it about a good 20 seconds later, Joe Doring gets himself out of that hole and starts slowly walking himself up. 
down the aisle and gets himself back in the ring. So now you have Doc Gallows in one corner and you have Joe Doring in the other corner just staring at one another and they just look at one another with an intense stare down and Joe Doring rushes over to Doc Gallows but Doc Gallows lifts up his boot and hits Joe Doring directly in the face. Joe Doring is now staggered and Doc Gallows gets on the second rope he goes to jump and look for something, but he gets caught with a clothesline right in midair, and he drops, and Joe Doring pins Doc Gallows, and he gets the win. So Joe Doring beats Doc Gallows in the main event of Impact Wrestling, and that's how Impact Wrestling ends for this week. Now it's time for SmackDown. SmackDown starts with Edge coming out, and as Edge is walking to the ring, SmackDown shows a highlight package of Seth Rollins and Edge's rivalry and how they got here. After they show the highlight package, they show you Edge in the middle of the ring sitting in a chair. Edge mentioned how he remembers how it felt in 2014 when Rollins had his boot on the back of his neck. Edge admits to having triple fusion neck surgery. He admits that the curb stomp can affect his way of working and his way of life. Everything that Seth Rollins said about Edge last week about his daughter's pushing him in a stroller and all these type of things, if Seth Rollins would have put him out of his misery, those in 2014 was all true. Edge admits that. Edge admits that Rollins is an all-time talent, and Rollins has pushed Edge into a dark place. Edge doesn't like being in that place because it's hard for him to come out of that place once he's there, and Edge secretly likes to be in that place. Edge says that at SummerSlam, he doesn't just have to beat Seth Rollins. He has to break Rollins. Edge says he has to make Rollins humble. Edge finishes his promo by saying that at SummerSlam, he was going to burn Rollins down. After this, we get a promo from Rey Mysterio talking to his son Dominic at the gorilla position. Rey is trying to keep his son humble because Dominic is so full of confidence that his father won last week by his help by him putting his foot on the back of Rey's back and giving him extra leverage to win his match. He's just so full of confidence. He f- feels that his father's going to beat Jay Uso tonight, but his father just tells him, listen, you have to be humble. That's how you get far in this game. This is how I've always done it. Ray's just trying to give Dominic fatherly advice, and as it seems, Dominic is just so full of spunk and so full of just that bravado that young athletes and young people have, and that's what Dominic has. But Dominic does agree to watch his father's back tonight as he goes against Jay Uso. And then Rey Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio goes out to the ring. And now it's time for Jay Uso versus Rey Mysterio. Jay Uso beats Rey Mysterio by pinfall. But before I get to how he did it, I want to talk about how Rey and Jay Uso have great chemistry. Rey has been wrestling for 32 years since he was 14 years old and still can perform with the best. Jay versus Rey Mysterio, they're having this match because this is the last SmackDown until tonight's SummerSlam, and they want to see who can get momentum in for their tag team going into their tag team title match at SummerSlam. Rey ends up getting Jay Uso in a sunset flip, and Dominic puts his foot on Rey Mysterio's back to give him leverage like he did last week and when Rey Mysterio won his match last week. But this time, the referee catches Dominic doing this, and Dominic gets sent to the back by the referee. Rey Mysterio comes out to talk to his son, Dominic, and he's questioning why didn't you listen to me and all these other type of things, but the Mysterios get attacked by the Usos, and Jay sends Rey Mysterio into the steel steps, 
and then throws him back into the ring. And then Jay goes up to the top rope and hits Mysterio with an Uso splash and gets the win. So the Usos are walking into SummerSlam with some momentum over the Mysterios. Next is time for Baron Corbin going against Kevin Owens. That's their match next. But Baron Corbin comes out with no entrance music, still looking shaggy and bummy. But he's walking out with Biggie's Money in the Bank briefcase that he stole last week. And Pat McAfee is just berating Baron Corbin on commentary. He said Baron Corbin is a bum. He is poor. He stinks. I mean, he Pat McAfee is crazy on commentary. I love the guy. Anyway, now to the match. Baron Corbin does beat Kevin Owens by disqualifications. Baron Corbin was getting his butt kicked all around by Kevin Owens during this match. And Biggie's music hits, and Biggie decides to head down to the commentary's table. That's where the Money in the Bank briefcase was at. And he's going down there to try to retrieve back his Money in the Bank briefcase that Baron Corbin stole from him. Big E goes to his briefcase, but Baron Corbin's there first, and he grabs the briefcase. But Big E catches Corbin and starts beating up on Corbin. Once the referee sees this, he calls for the bell, and that's how Baron Corbin wins the match. Big E ends up grabbing his briefcase and starts walking, but Corbin runs up behind Big E and throws Big E into the ring post. E's arm hits the ring post, and he drops the briefcase. Baron Corbin grabs the briefcase and runs through the crowd to get away with the briefcase like a squirrel getting a nut. That's exactly the a right example. Baron Corbin is basically the squirrel on Ice Age films. If you've seen it, just look at Baron Corbin right now with the briefcase and look at the squirrel on the Ice Age film. When he got that nut, he's so happy. Anyway, now we go to a backstage interview with Bianca Belair. They show Bianca what happened to her last week at the contract signing. And after they get done showing her this, Bianca is mad and she can't wait to get her hands on Sasha Banks at SummerSlam. Bianca says she hopes Sasha is watching tonight what she does to Selena Vega and Carmella. She is going to snap Zelina in half and turn Carmella into the most hideous chick in WWE. Bianca says she's done being nice. Bianca is going to show people that she is the meanest, the nastiest, and the baddest chick in WWE. After this, now we go to the ring. It's Shotzi Blackheart and Tegan Knox going against Natalia and Tamina. If Shotzi Blackheart and Tegan Knox win, they get a championship opportunity against Natalia and Tamina later down the line for the women's tag team titles. That's exactly what happens. Knox and Shotzi beats Natalia and Tegan Knox by pinfall when Natalia was trying to tag Tamina in, but Tamina was got pulled down by the apron by Tegan Knox, which allowed Shotzi Blackheart to pin uh, Natalia with the roll-up and get the win. After this, we go to a Seth Rollins in-ring promo. Rollins comes out in a fresh white suit. Again, I would never wear white, all white, because white gets dirty. And you're about to find out exactly how dirty it gets. Rollins says Edge covered his bases for when he loses to Rollins at SummerSlam. Rollins tells Edge to listen to him. Rollins says there's no shame in your shortcomings. There is no shame of being beaten and broken by this business. There is no shame in being a father. And there is no shame in finding the darkest place in yourself. Rollins tells Edge that his darkest place is dead. Edge can't find that dark place anymore. He no longer has that. And as Chef is saying all these things, the brood music hits and the arena lights start flickering red. Rollins at this moment starts freaking out. He starts looking around. He drops the mic and he's just looking around for Edge. And you don't see Edge, but Edge pops up on the Titantron. Titantron is a big screen on the WWE stage. Just to let everybody know what that is. 
Edge tells Rollins to beware, take care, because the freaks do come out at night. This is the exact saying that Edge would say when he was in The Brood, whenever Edge came into WWE as a member of The Brood, him, Gangrel, and Christian Cage, just to let you know. Then a big splash of black liquid falls from the ceiling onto Rollins, and the lights prop right back on to regular lighting, and you see Rollins covered in this liquid. Rollins' suit is no longer white. It is completely black. It is blackened out. They can't do red no more because it's PG, but they're trying to make it give you that aesthetic of darkish, darkish red. But anyway, they're trying to give you a throwback of what the brood used to do in the Attitude Era whenever they would target an opponent. Their lights will go out. You'll hear some old chanting in the background, and then you hear a big splash go down, and then the lights power back on there person that they target is now all covered in red blood and at that time it added to her it really was all red but since we're in the pg era you can't do red you can't make the symbolism of blood so they had to go with black just to give you guys a nice refresher and knowledge on wrestling in back of the days now once it's on commercial because the liquid got splattered all over the canvas and you can't have wrestlers wrestle in this on the canvas where the liquid is covered all over it and you can't have wrestlers get like black ooze on them and everything. Whenever it's commercial time, the stagehands replace the canvas and while they're on commercial break as well and as the replays is playing of what happened to Rollins being drenched in this black liquid, you can know that the canvas is being replaced. And the reason how you know is because the next match is Montez Ford going against Otis. And that canvas, whenever they show right back Montez Ford in the ring, just waiting for Otis to come out, that canvas is for clean white. I mean, just pristine clean white. So that tells you during the commercial, they took the canvas off. They had all that black ink on and replaced it with a new one. Just to give you guys a little behind the scenes here. Anyway, Otis beats Montez Ford by pinfall. But Montez Ford was able to get some good body shots of Otis. But... Otis would hit Ford in his repaired ribs. Uh, Montez Ford had some problems with his ribs because of Otis, storyline-wise. But he had to take some time off, repair the ribs, and Otis is now targeting the ribs again because, well, that's an easy target to go after. Otis ends up hitting the Vader bomb and gets the win. It was a nice, good little situation for Otis and Montez Ford to carry on their rivalry and their storyline for SmackDown. After this, it is a tag team matchup. Rick Boogs and King Nakamura, the new Intercontinental Champion, going against the team of Apollo Crews and Commander Aziz. This match was basically the highlight of Rick Boogs and what he could do. They're showing that Rick Boogs uh, is a good power lifter. He throws people around, and he was able to throw around Apollo Crews whenever he was able to do it. But in the end, Rick Boogs hits a pump handle slam on Apollo Crews and ends up getting the win. So Rick Booz is not only a guitar player, he has the potential to be a professional wrestler on mainstream television. That's all this match was basically to highlight for you. Now it's time for Bianca Belair to go against Selena Vega. This match, Bianca Belair dominated Selena and she hit her with the KOD, the kiss of death, and she got the win. After the match, Carmella quickly ran into the ring and super kicked Bianca behind the head and just to try to soften her up for her match with Carmella literally next. Before the match begins, the referee checks on Bianca to make sure she can go, and Bianca agrees to it, and the referee rings the bell, and then Carmella starts jumping on top of Bianca, starts beating her down. Carmella is able to dominate the match, obviously, because she was able to get a cheap shot on Bianca, but in the end, Bianca was able to get the win whenever she hit 
Carmella with the KOD and got the pinfall. So this is giving Bianca a whole lot of momentum going into SummerSlam with her match with Sasha Banks for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Now it's main event time of SmackDown. The main event segment is Roman Reigns and John Cena coming face to face for the last time before SummerSlam. Roman Reigns says last week John Cena came out here and said a lot of dumb stuff and the fans ate it up because it's John Cena doing his usual John Cena stick. Roman Reigns does say that he isn't going to let John Cena lie to the to lie to his people. He's not going to let John Cena just lie to these people that come here every week, pay their money, and watch the product. Roman asks Paul Heyman, when was the last time he lost? Paul Heyman says no one has beaten this version of Roman Reigns. And Roman says, see, that's all you got to know right there. John Cena cuts in and says, all right, that's enough, that's enough. John Cena says he is happy that everyone can see that he is going to win against Roman. John Cena mentioned how a month ago, if somebody would have told the fans a month ago that if John Cena was going to come back to go against Roman at SummerSlam for the Universal title, who will win? The fans would pick Roman. But now since they've seen Roman being this guy, being the guy that gets agitated, yeah, he might not seem like he's bothered, but trust me, he's bothered underneath. They know that John Cena has a way of winning. John Cena mentions that he is going to take the Universal title and go film movies while Roman will have to be here and stay embarrassed because Roman was the guy that lost the Universal title to a guy that's going to Hollywood and won't be back until WrestleMania. And John Cena says this. John Cena says that. How could... John Cena says to Roman, how could you miss the signs, the whole promotional message of the summer of Cena? John Cena coming down to the contract signing and signing a contract in a big blue Sharpie without even his name on the contract in regular standing. Who walks up into a contract signing and just starts writing the name onto a contract? How did you miss the writing here? John Cena is back to demote Roman Reigns and take the Universal title and basically make Roman Reigns humble. He tells Roman that at SummerSlam, Roman has to be perfect because... If Roman isn't perfect at SummerSlam, it's only going to take a 1-2-3 to get the win. Roman got to be on his A-game because if he's not on his A-game, it's going to be a 1-2-3. Roman can't make mistakes. If Roman makes a mistake, it's going to be 1-2-3. And John Cena will walk out with a universal title for the 17th time, being a 17-time world champion. Roman gets on the mic, and you can tell Roman's upset now. And he asks John Cena, what makes him special? What makes you better than anybody that I've beaten so far? Roman mentions how that whenever he beats somebody up so bad, WWE no longer needs them. And he basically points out his past victories over the likes of Daniel Bryan, of Braun Strowman, of Bray Wyatt. All three guys who's no longer with the WWE. Just to give you some backstory on that or why he said it like that. John Cena is not bothered by this at all. And Roman just so flustered. And Roman just stops. And he says, SummerSlam's in Las Vegas, right? And he says, you know what? We're going to raise the stakes. Roman says, if he doesn't leave SummerSlam with the Universal title, he's going to leave WWE. Paul Heyman looks at Roman so frightened in the face. And John Cena is smiling at Roman directly in his face because Roman has played right into John Cena's hands. John Cena's whole plan was to fizzle out Roman out of this whole cool comic collective and make him be this guy. Make him be the nervous wreck that Roman Reigns really is underneath this whole boss material. That was John Cena's whole plan. Roman sticks his hand out. John Cena shakes that hand. So at SummerSlam, it is for the Universal title. If Roman Reigns does lose, 
he will not be in WWE. He will leave the WWE. Roman pulls John Cena in for a Samoan drop, but John Cena was able to reverse out of it and hit a roll-up, and the fans were counted down. One, two, three, but Roman Reigns was able to kick out at 2.999 seconds. So close. And John Cena rolls out of the ring, and he starts counting down. One, two, three, and you just see Roman Reigns sitting in the middle of the ring, just so frustrated because Roman now understands the gravity of what he has just done. John Cena has the ability to beat him, and he just proved it right there. And Roman knows that he just put his whole WWE career on the line for this one match. And Roman is now feeling the pressure of it. And that was the end of this SmackDown. Now it's time for AEW Rampage, and I'm not even going to give you any type of hullabaloo. AEW Rampage starts off with a big bang. AEW does their fireworks, they do all this stuff, but they're in Chicago, they're in the United Center, they've been building this whole episode up as the first dance, as a whole special, and they're in Chicago, the best in the world, they've been hyping it up when Darby Allen said, if you want to be the best in the world, the whole fans, that first, as soon as they opened up, as the fireworks were done, the fans immediately started chanting his name, not Darby, the best in the world's name. CM Punk, CM Punk, just constantly, CM Punk chants just brain down on that whole arena, and the fans in the professional wrestling world around got their wish. CM Punk's music hits the cult of personality, and CM Punk walks out on that stage, and he kneels down and just sits on his knees as the fans are cheering, and the fans are losing their mind. They can't believe that they are seeing a uh, professional wrestling legend, a modern-day legend, truly modern-day, the 2010s era of mainstream professional wrestling legend on a stage in front of wrestling fans. CM Punk at one point said that he didn't want to be in wrestling anymore. And you now you see Punk inside a professional wrestling arena, and you, it's just so lovingly when you see the fans of Chicago give this man... So much respect, and they just chanting him out. The camera angles are cutting over to mad fans just yelling in support of Punk. And you see one dude even shed some tears down his face. I mean, the you can just feel the emotion right through the television screen if you were just to see it. CM Punk takes his nice, nice time just walking down the ramp. He's soaking in all this energy that the Chicago fans are giving to this kid. He's soaking in all the love that they are giving to this Chicago kid, and he's loving it. Anyway, Chicago is loving on CM Punk, and CM Punk is loving back on Chicago. CM Punk gets in the ring, and he doesn't know what to say. He feels Chicago, and he hears Chicago. CM Punk said for the last seven years, he has heard them. And what he mean by them, he means the fans. He's heard everybody online. He's heard everybody in television world. He's heard everybody. And Punk says tonight, he isn't going to be able to cover everything. But he has time because he's going to be on Wednesday nights, Friday nights, and the pay-per-views four times out of the whole year because AEW only got four pay-per-views throughout the year. Punk mentions how he was never going to get physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally healthy if he was going to go back to the same place that made him sick, a.k.a. WWE. Punk told a story about when he had to leave Ring of Honor in August of 13th 2005 and now on his final night in ring of honor he was on his exact knees crying and he didn't understand why he cried then but now 
he understand why because he was leaving pro wrestling. Ring of Honor was a place that young guys can go there, make money, and start learning the craft of professional wrestling. And he knew that whenever he left Ring of Honor, he was leaving his home. And he was going off to another place that wasn't an easy place to go by. That wasn't going to be easy for a guy like CM Punk. A.K.A. back in the day, WWE used to be hard on guys in the indies. If you made a name for the in, in the indies, you weren't going to have a good time in WWE. They were just going to see you as an indie guy, a guy that wasn't a main eventer. That's what CM Punk meant by that. But now, in August 20th, 2021, he's back. And he's back in professional wrestling. He said he's back for the fans. He's back for himself. And he's back to help the younger talent in the back. And the first person he's going to help out is Darby Allen. And a spotlight hits to the rafters where Sting and Darby Allen are. And he says, basically, at all out, he's going to face Darby Allen on pay-per-view. And I can't wait to see that one. CM Punk wrestling Darby Allen on pay-per-view. CM Punk is wrestling on pay-per-view for professional wrestling. is a big milestone because that man hasn't wrestled in 2,766 days. Somebody in the crowd had the days of time spent from last CM Punk's last match which was a Royal Rumble match in 2014 to now. Well, basically now being back in professional wrestling. Somebody had the days for that. And I did not know it was 2,766 days. That's a long time. I just knew that it was seven years. But just to hear the days is long. But anyway, he will be going against Darby Allen at All Out. And that's just the biggest thing to come out of Rampage. I don't mean to discredit anything else. But we all know what we wanted. We all knew what we came to see, and by God, AEW just threw it all out there just to get everybody what they wanted at the beginning of the show. After this, we have a backstage promo of Christian Cage and Jurassic Express. The main point of this is to get Jurassic Express hyped up for their match with Private Party in the semifinals of the tag team tournament. Christian Cage also mentions how the Young Bucks can hide behind their EVP positions and hire all their buddies that they want, but they can't help them inside a steel cage. Christian also mentions how he has Kenny Omega's number and that Kenny Omega is feeling the pressure and that at All Out, he's going to take the AEW title and he's going to take Kenny Omega's soul. Now we head back into the ring for the Tag Team Tournament semifinals of the Jurassic Express going against Private Party. The Young Bucks come out and they're on the stage to watch the match. The Lucha Brothers and Varsity Blondes are also in attendance to watch the match because the Lucha Brothers and Varsity Blondes will face off against one another in the next episode of AEW Dynamite in another semifinals match because the winner of that match will go against the winner of this match on next week's episode of AEW Rampage. This was a good back-and-forth match for Private Party and Jurassic Express. Luchasaurus happens to be the man that turns the tide for everything because once Luchasaurus gets tagged in, Everything goes directly towards Jurassic Express' favor because Luchasaurus is a big man. He's agile, and he's able to do a lot of things that a whole lot of big man can't do. And he dominates Private Party. Jurassic Express gets the win by hitting the Jurassic Express, which is basically a floating flip-over powerbomb. They do that to Mark Quinn, and Jungle Boy gets the win for his team. So now Jurassic Express will be waiting at the next AEW Rampage show next week. For the winner of Lucha Brothers and Varsity Blondes. And the winner of that team will go against Lucha Jurassic Express again. Sorry. And 
the winner of that match will go against the Young Bucks at All Out for the AEW Tag Team titles. Now we go to a backstage promo of Kenny Omega and Don Callis. They complain about how last week on Rampage, Christian got a fluke win and how Christian has ruined the whole first dance celebration for Kenny Omega because Kenny Omega in his own mind, egocentric mind, thinks that this whole thing was about him. In reality, it was always about CM Punk, but Kenny Omega just thinks this whole first dance was about him. It was supposed to be about celebrating Kenny Omega, but Christian Cage ruined that last week on Rampage, and Kenny Omega says that he's going to beat Christian so bad that he is going to retire for another seven years at All Out. After this, we go to in-ring competition. Jay Cargill going against Kiera Hogan, and this one was easy as pie. Jay Cargill beats Kiera Hogan by pinfall. Jade hits Jaded, which is a glam slam on Kiera Hogan. And that's all was wrote there, ladies and gentlemen. Jay beats Kiera Hogan by pinfall. After this, we get Mark Henry interviewing Daniel Garcia with 2.0 by his side and John Moxley in the split screen interview. Daniel Garcia says he has beaten Fuego Del Sol. He has beaten Matt Seidel. But to be the biggest star here in AEW, he has to beat John Moxley. John Moxley just makes this real quick and simple. He says he's pissed off and he's going to hurt Daniel Garcia tonight. And now it's time for the main event. John Moxley going against Daniel Garcia. It was a good back and forth match, especially for Daniel Garcia, because he was able to hold his own with John Moxley. Garcia spent a lot of time going after Moxley's hurt leg that 2.0 and Garcia hurt him by hitting him with a pipe uh, this past AEW episode that I just read off to you. But in the end, Garcia puts Moxley in a sharpshooter, but Moxley was able to reverse out of it and put him in the bulldog choke, and Garcia tapped out. After the match, 2.0 got in the ring and started attacking Moxley, and Daniel Garcia helped along with that, which led Eddie Kingston to come to the ring and try to help out Moxley, but the numbers were too much for Moxley and Kingston until Sting and Darby Allin both came down and helped out. Kingston was able to hit his bat, spinning back fist on Daniel Garcia, which sent him out of the ring. And 2.0 got hit with a stinger splash by Sting. They dropped to the ground, and Sting lined them up side by side, which allowed Darby Allin to hit his signature coffin drop onto 2.0. And that's how the AEW Rampage ends with Moxley, Sting, Darby Allin, and Eddie Kingston standing on top as the big heroes of AEW Rampage. But the main thing coming out of AEW Rampage is that CM Punk is now all elite with AEW. Also, by the way, little side note, 2.0 got signed this week too. So congratulations to the team of 2.0. Now it's time for me to tell you about uh, New Japan Resurgence. The main things that came out of it, to really be honest, was that Tanahashi beat Lance Archer to win the IWGP United States Championship. And Kota Ibushi is now going after Tanahashi for the IWGP United States Championship. I don't know how that's going to work, but I can't wait to see that if they do have it on American television. If not, I would still tell you guys the results of that match because that, that should have some high implication because John Moxley was in the crowd watching this and he wasn't happy that Tanahashi won the match. So that's just something to keep on the back burner. And also, the Commonwealth Kingpin, as he's now known as his moniker, Will Ospreay is back in New Japan. He was out for four months with the next, uh, he broken his neck, and he's back now as the New Japan IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. He talked about how Shingo is a paper champion, an interim champion. He's not the real world's champion, and how 
he's the real world champion. He talked about how I New Japan didn't strip John Moxley after he held onto the belt for a whole year and didn't defend it against nobody. And Will Ospreay has a point. But and again, he's also the world champion. So the world championship has to be defended. So you can see where New Japan had a side with that as well. But anyway, Moxley wasn't there. Well, Moxley was in the back. So you know Moxley was probably pissed off when he heard his name come out of Will Ospreay's mouth. But that yet again, that's another thing to put on the back burner. Well, Ospreay talked about how he's not going back to Japan right now and that how he's going to make his home on New Japan Strong, which is on their platform app. And he's going to be on New Japan Strong and New Japan Strong is in California. So he's going to be living out in California for a good bit. And that how he is the real world champion and how he's not going to be in G1, which is the big annual tournament over in Japan because G1 is usually a big old weeks of tournament of, I believe, 32 guys. They compete against each other, and they got point system. But anyway, he's not going to be in that. But if you want to get a crack at Will Ospreay, you do that. And Will Ospreay also mentions how all these forbidden doors are around here, but he's over here in America. And don't forget, he can come to anybody's door because they left their key under the doormat. So if you haven't seen Will Ospreay on Impact Wrestling, don't be shocked. You haven't seen him on AEW Wrestling, don't be shocked. And just so happens if he happens to show up on NWA Wrestling, don't be shocked because Will Ospreay is putting everybody on notice. Um, that was the two biggest thing that came out of New Japan uh, Resurgence. Now, before I get you guys out of here, and I want to thank you for listening to all this right now, um, I'm going to give you guys my predictions for SummerSlam tonight and also NXT TakeOver 36. SummerSlam, I have Charlotte Flair beating Nikki Ash and Rhea Ripley to gain the Raw Women's Championship. I have Roman Reigns retaining the Universal title because I feel that uh, Finn Balor is going to interfere in that some way, somehow. I have Bobby Lashley beating Goldberg for the WWE Championship to retain it. I have the Usos beating the Mysterios. I have Dominic just being too cocky and Rage is going to get too tired of his son. I have Bianca Belair retaining her SmackDown Women's Championship over Sasha Banks. I have Edge beating Seth Rollins. Matter of fact, no, scratch that. I have Rollins beating Edge for this. I have Damian Priest beating Sheamus for the, for the United States Championship. I have Drew McIntyre beating Jinder Mahal. I have Alexa beating Eva Marie. And I have RK Bro beating AJ Styles and Omos for the Raw Tag Team Championships. Now it's time for NXT TakeOver 36. I have Ilya Dragunov beating Volta for the NXT United Kingdom Championship. I have Samoa Joe beating Karrion Cross for the NXT Championship. I have Raquel Gonzalez beating Dakota Kai to retain her Women's Championship. I have Cameron Grimes beating Ellie Knight to win the Million Dollar Championship. And I have Kyle O'Reilly beating Adam Cole in the two out of three falls. And I think they're going to get it all the way to the third fall. And that's where Kyle's going to take it. I think Kyle's going to beat Adam Cole in the traditional wrestling match. I think Adam Cole's going to beat Kyle in the street fight. And Kyle O'Reilly beating Adam Cole in the steel cage match. And again, I want to thank you all for watching, well, for listening to me all this time. And remember, Today, you are listening to Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Tomorrow is my Sunday episode where I talk about the news or anything that I personally like. And for this week, since SummerSlam is happening tonight and NXT TakeOver is happening tomorrow night, there will be a Monday 
episode of me giving you a review of both shows. And also, I will be talking about more of CM Punk and how that whole big man surprise and his whole aura into the professional wrestling world has basically created a boom in certain sense. But I'll get more into that on Monday for that. But anyway, I want to thank you all for listening to me. You can find my podcast. You can find these all these other episodes of all past Wrestling Highlights of the Week and all other episodes of my Sunday episodes on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. For Twitter, you can find me at, at MyTubePodcast. On Instagram, MyTwoCentsPodcastG2. And my business inquiries, or if you just want to email me something, MyTwoCentsPod at Yahoo.com. I want to thank you all for listening. I hope you tune into my Sunday show. But if not, Tune into my Monday show, well, where I talk about SummerSlam and NXT TakeOver 36. But with all that being said, I thank you. I love you all. Please wear your mask. Continue doing what you're supposed to do. And I will see you all when I see you all. This isn't goodbye. This is until you hear from this lovely voice again. And bye-bye now. I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.